We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up. And your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place exclusive interviews with players coaches and team executives streaming live and always available on demand stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the odyssey app last monday former state lawmaker daniel biss was sworn in as the new mayor of the city of evanston and he'd already lined up his first initiative the suburb immediately north of chicago is a diverse community with powerful institutions and formidable challenges and it now has a mayor with a lot of ideas about getting things done. This weekend, it's a forward-looking conversation with Evanston's mayor. Hello, I'm political editor Craig Delamore, and this is At Issue. Daniel Biss has been politically active. He was in the Illinois House and in the Illinois Senate, and he was a candidate for governor in the last election. It's probably a wonder that he didn't become a musician, though. His family is full of them, but he is, of all things, a mathematician by training. In fact, he was a professor of mathematics at the University of Chicago. I don't know if that helped him in going over the state of Illinois' budget, but math skills can't hurt when you're running a sizable city. But we've got a lot more than just budgets to talk about this weekend. And because of the pandemic, uh, we are still social distancing. So this interview is being recorded via Zoom conferencing. And for the first time, I can call you Mayor Daniel Biss. Welcome. Thanks so much, Craig. It's good to see you. Likewise. Great to see you again. And the night you were elected mayor, you said the community voted not just for a person, but rather for an agenda and a vision for what you can do together. So let's start with the broad question of what is that agenda? Well, first of all, um, let's be real here. There, I was elected in the midst of a terrible pandemic that has wreaked havoc on uh, communities across the globe. Uh, we are, thank God, it seems like nearing the tail end of it as vaccination rates continue to creep up and we move toward uh, uh, more limited uh, social distancing requirements and so forth, but the, the consequences of that, of that uh, pandemic are still with us. So what does that mean for the city of Evanston? It means that we need to make sure we complete uh, the vaccination. We're now at, at a stage where we're uh, really focusing on harder to reach and more reluctant residents. And, and we have to ensure that uh, the vaccine is not only easily and readily available, but all information that they might need to feel comfortable taking that vaccine is, is available in, in uh, every every appropriate language. So, so that, that's a piece of it. But then, of course, we also have to manage an economic recovery. We need to come back stronger than before and more equitable than before. And I think we shouldn't sleep on the fact that we have a, a, a human, social, and mental health recovery to navigate as well, right? This has been a hard 
year for people. We've had seniors isolated on their own, kids out of school, and we need to rebuild that social fabric in a way that cares for uh, the needs and mental health of people who have struggled. So that's, that's you know, a set of challenges that I, I think would be facing any elected official taking office right now, literally anywhere in the entire world. But additionally, I have policy issues that I'm excited to get to work on. Uh, reimagining public safety, which is going to be really the first initiative that we, that we move on. Rethinking, in other words, what it means to provide for truly shared safety for all rather than just security for some. We have an affordable housing problem in Evanston. We are blessed to be a place that people want to come to, people, a place that people want to stay. Uh, and yet it's not always easy for folks to age in place in Evanston and afford to do it given the high housing costs and high property taxes. And a lot of folks who would love to move here, who we would love to see move here can't afford to do that. So affordable housing is a critical issue. Climate and sustainability are also uh, really, really important uh, to our community and to me personally. We have a bold and ambitious climate action and resilience plan, but right now that plan is more numbers on a sheet of paper than policies we've implemented here in our community. Uh, and last, uh, not least, but perhaps first, we have to really rethink the way we do government here and make sure that our government is fully transparent and truly driven by a relentless commitment to equity. That's something we've said a lot over the years, but maybe haven't made it as concrete as we should have. Well, you know, we're going to, I think we're going to try and touch on all of those things in this half hour. Um, and, and on the issue of government, you said people voted for bold, progressive, and transformative policies. And I have found, uh, especially in recent years, uh, that folks differ on what progressive means these days and how much change they really want when it affects mm. them. Uh, how do you move on those kinds of bold policies and still maintain the balance that doesn't have people feeling off balance? It's a great question. And, and you know, I think we're having a challenge on that here in Evanston and really you know, across the state and across the country. I think people are on, on edge right now. We've been isolated from each other. So we often haven't even been in the same room to hash out our differences. And I think people, people oftentimes feel unheard by their government. And so my commitment is not, hey, if you live in Evanston, everything I do is gonna be what you want, nor is my commitment that we need to reach consensus before moving forward. I think if you ask yourself to do that, then you wind up not being able to do really bold, uh, progressive uh, policy change. My commitment is we're going to have a completely transparent process where everybody in the community has the right to be in the room before the policy is written, before the proposals come together, where we invite all stakeholders to the table and have a real honest set of conversations and then when we move forward, folks who don't like what they see will know that maybe they got overruled, but their, their voice was listened to. They were there at the table. And by the way, even though they got overruled, uh, the, the mayor heard them and learned from them and will be incorporating their point of view going forward. So, for example, on public safety, I, I campaigned on a, a, you know, if you go look at my website, danielbiss.com slash public-safety, there's a long document there. You probably don't want to read all of it. It's a whole bunch of different bullet points. Um, I, I meant that those commitments are, are, are commitments that I take seriously, but I didn't just take office and then say, okay, we're going to do all that stuff tomorrow. I, I took office and said, now we're going to create a reimagining public safety committee, a really diverse group of stakeholders representing different slices of the community, different life experiences, different expertise and knowledge. 
And we're going to sit and hash out the way that we can achieve these goals together. You're going to have uh, representatives of the Evanston Police Department on that committee and those who believe in abolition of police on that committee. And we're going to sit together and hash some of these issues out. But I'm not saying we're going to just keep talking until we all agree. I'm saying we're going to have recommendations by this fall and then we're going to move forward. And so on the one hand, you have an open, transparent process where everybody's in the room. But on the other hand, you're ready to move forward when you have a majority who agree, even if some people feel like, hey, you know what, this time I didn't get my way. You know, I mean, in at least in state government, especially, which I covered longer than, well, maybe not longer than I have sitting by now. <laughs> I've been here too many years. Uh, blue ribbon panels are very often the, uh, the solution to problems, if, if for no other reason than it allows someone to say, okay, we studied it and uh, we'll start implementing things. You are saying, but you're going to move forward. How do you know when you've got the right plan? Is, is, is it, whose call is it? Is it your call that, okay, this is the right balance? Well, you know, the, the committee is a formal entity, right? So it'll get to vote and majority votes in the committee will be, will be meaningful. But also as the, as the chair, I'm gonna, you know, make sure that my voice is, is, plays a critical role here. But, but I also think there's a, there's a practical question, which is, do you design the committee to just kind of talk forever or do you set a deadline? And in this case, I set a deadline because I, I think that the urgency of the issue demands that we be clear about when we expect to start making concrete progress. The deadline I set was very simple. I said, listen, the work product of this committee has got to be incorporated in the 2022 budget that we passed in the city of Evanston. So when we pass a budget this coming November or December, it's going to be done with the work product of this committee as one of its um, factors. Uh, and, and so what that says is, We've got a tight timeline, so we're going to get to work immediately and, and work uh, quickly and uh, you know, to keep to this ambitious goal. But it's also enough time that you make sure that voices are really heard. We're not saying we're going to pass something tomorrow. We're saying we're going to spend the summer and the first part of the fall talking it over and then move. What's your view of the problem uh, or the, the situation that leads to this being the very first thing that your government needs to address? Well, it's a confluence of several different things all coming together, which is what makes it to me such a clear decision. Um, number one, uh, the, you know, the provision of public safety is one of the most fundamental things that a city provides. I mean, we, we want to have beautiful parks, um, but we need to feel safe in our neighborhoods. So, so that's, it's just, completely fundamental to what the city does. That's number one. Number two, it's a big slice of our budget. So financially, it's a significant percentage of what we're actually doing. Um, and number three, the questions posed by, uh, the questions posed today about how should we be rethinking police? Those are fundamentally questions about justice and equity. They're questions about what does public safety look like in uh, neighborhoods that are majority populated by people of color. There's what do we do about the disparate uh, impact of policing tactics 
on black and brown communities as compared with white communities. These are questions about, you know, how do we create true equal justice in our society? And so here you have a, a, a topic that matters for every single resident. You have a tremendous amount of the city budget and we're grappling with these basic questions of justice and civil rights that are really the difference between a, a government that's doing its job and a government that's not. And so to me, that's, that's just the place that we really need to devote a lot of energy early on. The other thing I'll say about it is, look, this is really controversial stuff, right? <laughs> We're not gonna get consensus on this. We're not gonna get an outcome that does a lot and also leaves everybody feeling like they got what they wanted. And so knowing how difficult and controversial it's gonna be, I thought, let's get started immediately. Let's not wait, let's not delay a couple of years and then hope we still have the energy to work on this really, really important hard thing later. Well, like you say, these are controversial issues. They're very often polarizing issues. How are you going to handle the discussions when it's issues, not just like funding, but things like police oversight and, and race that all get tied up in this? And those tend to raise people's emotions. Yeah, it would be, it would be very strange if issues of justice and race didn't raise people's emotions. You'd sort of wonder where people's emotions were being kept <laughs> if that was the case. Uh, and, and I think that's, you know, I'm, I'm sort of kidding, but that's, that's really the point is to, is to acknowledge the le legitimacy of people's emotional reactions and, to, and not just the legis legitimacy, but the appropriateness, the appropriateness and the need, right? We need people's hearts in this conversation, not just people's minds. And so, you know, as the chair of this committee, I'm gonna work hard to make sure that everyone treats everyone with respect. I'm gonna work hard to make sure that we address the substance of the issues rather than one another's motives. You know, all these, all these tactics that you deploy to make conversations uh, stay civil, but also I'm gonna honor the fact that this is an emotional conversation that is, that is occurring on the heels of hundreds of years of oppression um, and that we, we have to, uh, welcome those feelings into the discussion if we're going to have a discussion that actually reflects what we're really supposed to be working on here. Um, I want to talk about something that uh, is, if anything, when we're talking about equity is sort of an extension of that. And it's another one of your top priorities, and that is affordable housing, yeah. uh, another high impact, high profile issue. Yeah. Um, and, and it's an issue for every municipality. But what are the particular concerns in Evanston? Well, you know, in Evanston, um, we're lucky to be a place that a lot of folks want to move to and a lot of folks want to be here. Uh, and, and so, you know, ultimately housing at the end of the day, it's an issue of supply and demand. And in Evanston, demand is high and supply is fixed. We're, we're not going to, you know, we're not going to start to, you know, build an army and try to take over the, the 49th Ward of Chicago or, or Skokie or Wilmette. <laughs> we're, we're stuck where we are. We're landlocked. We're, we're not moving into the lake. Um, and so, and so there's just a there's just a tension there. And so the question then is, what do you do about it? And, and and you know, a lot of what's been talked about both in Evanston and Chicago and many other communities in recent years is, you know, what we call um, an, uh, our inclusionary housing ordinance in Chicago. It's called the ARO, and a lot of places it's called inclusionary zoning. But what this basically says is, when you have a big new development, a certain percent of the units need to be affordable. And that's, that's a good policy. I support that policy. I support strengthening that policy, in fact. But, you know, we have 75,000 people in Evanston and every now and again, a building with a couple hundred units will get built. And then a small percentage of those couple hundred units are mandated by the affordable housing ordinance to inclusionary housing ordinance to be, to be affordable. Well, you know, you've added, you know, a dozen units here, a dozen units there. It's, 
it's only a small piece of the puzzle. I think there's a lot of other aspects we need to talk about. Part of that, of course, is um, you know, working with federal and state and county partners to bring in subsidy uh, to make sure that we have enough subsidized uh, units. But part of that is also asking ourselves, what do we allow people to build and where? And let me, let me give you a concrete example here. So I'm talking to you from my, my home, which is a modest, affordable townhome uh, in a neighborhood of Evanston that has very, very, very few modest, affordable homes. In fact, our family could not afford to live in, I think, probably literally 90 or 95% of our own neighborhood. Uh, and you might ask yourself, why? How'd that come to pass? Well, the reason is that in most of my neighborhood, it's illegal to build a house like my house. It's illegal to build a townhome uh, in almost all the neighborhood. Instead, you're required to build single family homes on relatively large lots. And so what the city government is saying is we don't want to allow the construction of affordable units in most of this neighborhood. Well, sure enough, the outcome of that rule is that the neighborhood doesn't wind up being very affordable. And if you look at there's places across the country that are beginning to rethink that type of policy, in fact, doing it, as you point out, through an equity lens, acknowledging that these zoning codes that basically separate people economically came from a desire on the part of many municipalities to separate people racially. And, and so as official de jure racial segregation started to be prohibited and the court started to rule against them and, and declare that uh, restrictive covenants couldn't be enforced anymore, municipalities said, okay, we, we won't say the word black in our rules. Instead, we'll just create a system that enforces extreme economic segregation and kind of count on that to bring racial segregation with it. And, and that's exactly what happened. And so the question now is, how much of that should we unwind and how should we unwind it in a way that simultaneously keeps these neighborhoods beautiful and also makes them more affordable and integrated and diverse. And that's, again, not gonna be uncontroversial, uh, but a tremendous opportunity to really kill a whole bunch of birds with one stone, right? You'd not only make um, the stock of affordable housing far more available, but you make your neighborhoods more integrated and diverse and you see your population grow, which helps your small businesses have more customers and, and grows your tax base and helps your city budget situation. All of these things feed off each other, but to make that happen, you need to make changes that will be uncomfortable for some. And so we've got to go through a difficult process to get there. Well, and something else that ties into that is the issue of reparations. And we're going to talk about that in just a second. You are listening to WBVM News Radio's Ad Issue. I'm Craig Delamore. My guest is Daniel Biss the new mayor of Evanston. And yes, Evanston uh, became the uh, first U.S. city to offer reparations to African-American residents. And it seems that housing uh, is the basis for that, uh, or at least will be one of the center pieces of that. Uh, what, what's your feeling about uh, leading the charge or your city leading the charge in that? Well, first of all, I, I appreciate your, your kind of you sort of corrected your own sentence. I don't want to take credit for this. Uh, the city, I think, is rightly very proud of leading the charge on reparations. Uh, the previous city council, led by council member Robin Rue Simmons, um, initiated that. Um, and I am, I'm a proud cheerleader, but so far I deserve no credit at all. I've been mayor for three days and, and this, is already, uh, this has already been moving now for several years. So I just want to be, I think it'd be really wrong for me to 
to present myself as the person who deserves credit for it. But you're now the person who has to deliver it. <laughs> I'm the person who's excited to deliver it. And so let me let me say a little bit about where we are now. So the, the council has, first of all, authorized the creation of a reparations fund, which is going to be, um, um, the money is going to come from the first $10 million of cannabis uh, sales tax. So when, when cannabis is sold in Evanston, that tax revenue goes right to the reparations fund. Uh, and the idea, of course, is that the war on drugs was racist. I would argue even it's in, in its intent, but if not that, certainly in its consequence. And so uh, some of the tax revenue that comes from uh, cannabis sales ought to be used to repair that harm that was done. So that, that makes good sense. Um, the first 4%, so a tiny slice, $400,000 of that 10 million has now been allocated. And that's, as you say, for a housing program. And, and the reasoning here is, listen, hey, why, why is the city of Evanston paying reparations in the first place? Well, the answer is that we, as a city, took specific concrete actions uh, that exacerbated not only residential segregation, but also the racial wealth gap in Evanston. Therefore, we played a role in essentially taking from our black residents. And this reparations program is one, one small step to return what has been taken. Well, the way in which we played that role was through housing. It was through cooperation with redlining and enforcement of restriction, restrictive covenants and, and so forth. And so the idea then is, since we're trying to repair harm that we as a city did around housing, let's use part of the reparations money as grants to enable qualifying households to purchase and improve their homes. And so that's, that's what the first $400,000 is gonna to go to. I think it's important to acknowledge that when that passed, um, there were diverse views on that. Some people thought that was a perfect idea. It was, the, it was a great idea. Others thought, well, now hold on. That's gonna benefit homeowners, but what about folks who are renters and don't wanna own? What about folks who already own their home free and clear and don't need a, a home ownership grant but still need support uh, from the city? Uh, and so first of all, there's a lot of thought about other types of programs that the city might enact, either other um, residential related programs that are not for homeowners, right? You could imagine rental assistance, but there's also a lot of other areas, for instance, economic development and education. Uh, where the city is uh, interested in moving. But the other thing to say is that some of the uh, voices that expressed concern about this first step said, listen, if you're gonna call it reparations, don't tell me how to spend it. Write me a check to repair the harm and then let me as an adult make my own decision about where to spend that money. And I think that's an important point of view also that deserves to be at the table. And so, like I said, we've allocated 4% of the dollars there's 96% of the money left to be allocated. We've now appointed a reparations committee that's gonna be responsible for, um, first of all, administering that first 4%, but also recommending policies for the next 96%. And um, it's, it's really critical that we get this right. Uh, when you lead the way nationally on something that is not only so important, but also so enormously controversial, you have a real responsibility to do a good job so that you can then uh, be proud of being a model for the rest of the nation. Uh, I want to uh, turn back to the pandemic for just a second. Uh, first off, how much damage to Evanston's economy has the pandemic done? I mean, what? How, how much repair work do you need to do financially? Well, a lot. Of course, there's two different questions here that are both critical. As the mayor, I, I look at the city budget and ask myself, what has it done to the city budget? But of course, if you're a regular Evanston resident, what you are really worried about is the economy itself. 
Uh, and so both were both were harmed without question. Um, you know, the the previous city council took a lot of aggressive action to close a twelve million dollar hole that emerged in the budget. Um, I know for folks who are used to listening to city of Chicago or state of Illinois budgets, twelve million doesn't sound like a lot of money. But let me assure you, in this town of seventy five thousand people, twelve million dollars is many many dollars. So that was that was a, a tremendous challenge, and and you know, a lot of positions were uh, frozen and 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 folks were laid off, um, unfortunately, and, uh, you know, staff took furlough days and just, you know, a lot of steps were taken kind of on an emergency basis to close the budget hole. Uh, and, and um, you know, we're definitely nowhere close to out of the woods yet. The Federal American Rescue Plan Act money is going to be a lifesaver in, in helping us uh, um, replace lost revenue. That's one of the purposes of that program. But, but we've still got a lot of work left to do on the budgetary side. But the other side, of course, is just the economy. So if you walk around downtown Evanston, like if you walk around a lot of um, commercial districts, you see a lot of empty storefronts. Uh, and when I was running uh, for this office, you know, probably the question people asked me most was, holy cow, when I walk around downtown, I see a lot of vacancies. What are you going to do to repair it? Well, a few things. First of all, um, a fair number of those vacancies are actually, uh, the, those are not tenants who've given up their leases. They've just closed up shop during the pandemic and are, are still holding on and, and prepared to open up afterwards. So that's, that's one, um, that's one, uh, you know, glimmer of good news. Um, the next thing to say is that a big part of the um, customer base for our downtown businesses is the Northwestern students. And so as you know, we anticipate you know, a, a pretty significant return to campus, especially for the fall, I think that's gonna be enormously helpful. But the last thing is that you know, Evanston, unlike a lot of suburbs, does have a fair amount of office space. You know, Rover, the headquarters of Rotary International, for example, where the headquarters of you know, a number of businesses that have several hundred employees and, and then many, many, many you know, businesses that have dozens of employees. And so that downtown office population is the lifeblood of our local restaurants and shops. And so we've got to uh, get to a place in the pandemic where it's safe and responsible for those office workers to return to those spaces. And that'll play a tremendously important role in our economic recovery. Um, last thing I want to ask about uh, involved uh, a uh, city council meeting, uh, I guess this week. Um, uh, my colleague, Mike Krauser, uh, reported on the first meeting of the new city council when Alderman uh, Devin Reed uh, got an ordinance put on the agenda for the next meeting requiring that uh, big retailers give employees four or five dollars more per hour in COVID hazard pay. I understand it narrowly passed over arguments from some people that that should be put before a committee with hearings and stuff. Um, and you're talking about a government with transparency where people get their get to be heard. How is that playing out up there? Yeah, I mean, Council Member Reed has two exciting ideas that are really time sensitive. Uh, one of those ideas is to make uh, beach access free. And the other of those ideas is to provide hazard pay uh, for certain, um, certain uh, essential workers during the pandemic. Um, because the summer is about to start, the free beach access issue is an emergency issue and because uh, we're in the latter stages of the pandemic, the hazard pay issue is an emergency issue. And therefore, Council Member Reed uh, made a, a pretty unusual motion that, that you know, created a certain amount of chaos in our city council meeting uh, <laughs> to ask for those items to be put on the next agenda. Uh, to, it's, it's what's called a special order of business, essentially circumventing the, the, um, the committee process. Um, I think he 
would never have considered doing that if they weren't highly time sensitive issues. But even, even though they're time sensitive, there's a lot of folks on council who said, well, now these are difficult, important subjects. We need to do them carefully. We need to do them transparently. We need to do them with public input. And so when they, when they appear on the agenda in the, you know, one of the next few council meetings, I think it'll be interesting to see where that discussion plays out. It's a, it's a, it's a balancing act between the underlying urgency of the issue and the important, um, imperative for transparency and inclusion of voices. And I, I think it's still up in the air where that's going to land. Um, but as someone who is interested in making sure that government uh, uh, does continue to have that look of transparency and actuality of transparency, um, isn't this one of those challenges? Yeah, this is this is a clear tension. And I, I would uh, presume that Council Member Reed would be the first to acknowledge that that tension here between the need for transparency and deliberation on the one hand and the urgency of the issues. And, and so it's gonna be a judgment call that council's gonna to have to make on which of those two considerations come first. I think, I think it's really unclear where this is gonna land because the transparency uh, imperative is so critical and because these issues are also time sensitive. It's a, it's a, tough, it's a tough situation. Well, that's, that's why you've got the job now, I guess. And that's all the time we have. I would like to thank Evanston Mayor Daniel Biss for spending this half hour with us. And it's, a, again, a pleasure to see you and be able to talk with you again. Uh, to our listeners, if you would like a copy of this program or to hear it again, please visit our website at wbbmnewsradio.com. There should be a link at the bottom of the homepage. You can also find our podcast on odyssey.com. That's A-U-D-A-C-Y.com. We'll be back next week with another edition of that issue, and I hope you'll be listening. Until then, I'm Craig Delamore, News Radio 780 and 105.9 FM. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. T-Mobile.com. Protect your vehicle's engine with a full synthetic oil change and save with Mobile One at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Purchase five quarts of Mobile One full synthetic motor oil and receive a $10 O'Reilly gift card after rebate. See store for details. With your Mobile One purchase, you'll also receive two times points during Old Rewards Bonus Points Month at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts.